Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 62 of Ask the CEO with Abraham Gatile. Today, I'd like to introduce a very special guest. He's an entrepreneur, executive, and advisor with deep domain expertise in cybersecurity, medical devices, healthcare, financial services, professional and collegiate sports, and ITOT. Following years as an executive with Boston Scientific and Guidance Corporation, he founded a number of startups, including an award-winning strategic advisory firm. Most recently, he founded Connect IQ, which provides transformative cybersecurity innovations for endpoint protection, IT and OT environments, financial services, global data privacy, critical national infrastructure, and medical device and health data security. He serves on multiple boards and frequently presents internationally on cybersecurity and InfoSec in healthcare, medical technology, financial services, law, data privacy, critical national infrastructure, the GDPR, and pending e-privacy regulations. His passions are developing the next generation of leaders and a bit of music here and there. It is my pleasure to welcome the one and only Ken Morris. Welcome, Ken. Thank you, Abraham. My pleasure. It's a pleasure having you. So, Ken, given your experience in cybersecurity, what keeps senior executives up at night? Well, most senior executives uh, are becoming aware quickly that, in fact, they are nowhere near as secure as they were led to believe or as they thought. Uh, There are some fundamental challenges today with how we secure any digital environment which the tools that we're, used, that we're using today were effective yesterday, but as we all know, adversaries move much more quickly and adeptly. So a lot of senior executives, they're less probably worried about the uh, maybe direct economic impact, and it's more about reputational harm and risk, because if you're a publicly held company, uh, that has implications for your, your share price, Uh, It it has implications for who shall I partner with as a business partner? Because if I can't trust my partner's digital hygiene, I'm less likely to engage. And so the types of innovative business relationships that we're accustomed to seeing could be lessened if we don't solve this cybersecurity challenge. For sure. And it goes beyond just the security. Like you said, it's the reputation. Who's going to do business with you if you don't take care of your own security Exactly. So, Ken, tell us a little bit about your business. What is Connect IQ and what do you do there? Well, it's interesting how Connect IQ got started. Uh, I started thinking about this about six years ago. Of how do we resolve the question of securing medical devices, which, from my perspective, were by definition insecure, uh, even though you had keys that were being exchanged and hard-coded passwords, et cetera. That, I believe, was insufficient six years ago. We now know it is. It's insufficient today. So fast forward, while I was recovering from a kidney transplant, I decided to start working on this concept. I had nothing else to do for seven days. (laughs) I convinced my wife, bring my phone. Hopefully she never sees this uh, podcast. But instead of me texting my family and friends, I'm there coding in Python, the algorithm, uh, to actually test this concept and this idea of how do you build security around um, exchange of data uh, as well as hardening services without having stored secrets. Everything we do today is wrapped around stored secrets of some sort. 
even my good friends over uh, at uh, some of the apps that use open whisper technology, they say we don't have any keys. Well, they really are. They're, they're called pre-keys and they are built 100 at a time and stored. So therein lies a significant threat vector. So the challenge was, can we build trust environments by removing stored secrets? And literally that's what Connect IQ has done. We built this infrastructure, uh, it's called Secure Surface Technology. And what it allows is that for individuals to, to engage, come and go on demand, and it can be programmatic, it can actually be done by humans, it doesn't really matter to us, but you're able now to do it without ever having to pass secrets or store secrets that create this interesting threat vector for adversaries. Now, just, just real quick, um, for those listeners that may be unfamiliar with the technicalities or the technical aspects of this industry, can you just um, give us a brief overview of what uh, the significance of the stored secrets are? Sure. Uh, today, most everybody has heard of encryption. Uh, encryption works really well today. We don't have quantum computers yet. Uh, that is coming uh, soon. But for the moment, if you can encrypt data, either at rest or in flight, uh, you're, you're actually in pretty good shape. Because the resources necessary to decrypt the data without having a key are extensive, so most people don't bother. And that includes nation states at some level. Uh, and what we did was look at the process today of how do you protect data, not only at rest, but also we would argue more importantly in flight because that gets to transactions and business and people's lives move around our, you know, how do we transact with one another moving data? So if you're going from point A to point B, you have to generate a key here that encrypts the data, meaning it's just a bunch of garbage. The keys are either symmetric, which means they stand, there's one stored on each end, exact same key, very fast, and it has some, some, some benefits, but a downside is it's stored, and it's the same one. I just need to compromise either. Other models are asymmetric keys where you will, or PKI technology people may have heard, where you will pass uh, someone a public key, someone has a private key, and so all you need to distribute is the public key. Well, one of the challenges today is we now know that it is possible to grow the private key, which you need to encrypt, decrypt from the public key. So that would keep me up at night knowing that- If they I intercept that, then they could Absolutely. replicate that. Absolutely. Got it. So what we're looking to do is to, just to try and take the anxiety out of the environment because we're all globally interde uh, interdependent these days around data. And so uh, just basic cybersecurity is you want to encrypt end to end and you will hear end to end encryption a lot. You will hear endpoint encryption. That's all good. But the, the core question to ask is, are the secrets or credentials being stored somewhere? Uh, the solution to that today is we will create a security vault, uh, digital vault. And you may have heard it with, with crypto wallets, for example, they basically are digital vault. So you'll store the key in there. And when you need the key to actually decrypt data or get access, you go get the key. Well, you have a mirror in the mirror infinity problem because the key that you use to store it in the vault now has to be stored someplace and what about that one? And so it just goes on and on and on. And one of the things that we wanted to do was to eliminate all of that. It's, it's incredibly expensive. Uh, it's time, it's resources. People still don't know where all their keys are. Now there is one exception that we recognize for needing to have a stored key. And that is if you have data that is just stored someplace and it's encrypted, that key cannot change. And that we understand. 
So we built a solution around that in terms of how do you protect the vault that has to have the key to actually get into the storage. So that's kind of encryption 101 and a little bit about what we do about it. There's a whole variety of methods of, of cryptography. Uh, as many people may know, um, Cyber Central or Cybersecurity Central is Beersheba, Israel. And uh, I have a lot of friends over there and hopefully soon to be family as well. Uh, but the piece that's interesting is how we think about cybersecurity today and how we think about uh, encryption and hiding secrets, those types of things. The average, if the public really knew how relatively insecure most nation states' data and most companies' data are, there would probably be a revolt. But most people don't know. <laughs> Ignorance is bliss. Uh, in this case, yes. You know, it's interesting with IoT technology pretty much everywhere. Um, cybersecurity is a big issue because a lot of these devices were created at a time when they were just a novelty. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, we're talking security cameras, uh, light switches, uh, connected plugs. I mean, you know, simple things that we all have around our homes. They were manufactured at an earlier time. Many of them, you know, we, we as consumers tend to get the cheapest one, right? Yes, and, yes. And you hear uh, situations such as 25,000 security cameras being hacked to form a botnet and take mm -hmm. some website down or uh, 100,000 um, TVs and refrigerators, you know, those cool smart refrigerators that order your groceries for you. Well, 100,000 refrigerators are sending out spam messages and printers and uh, set-top boxes mining bitcoins. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, and, and that poses, you know, just really interesting challenges. I have, on a related matter, I was meeting with a gentleman who um, works for the nation of Australia, and we were talking about threat surfaces. You think about IoT endpoints, and we would argue it's not just Internet of Things, which you beautifully described, but it's also about operational technology. So if you are, if you have a SCADA network or distributed computing service network, think about nation states. And in the context of the discussion with the gentleman from Australia, they were thinking, of, they were talking about traffic light systems, so stop and go lights that are Internet capable and controlled. Well, there are IP addresses stored on these things. That are so sitting out in the middle of so if I want, if, if I ha I'm in a rush, I just uh, <laughs> hack into the rush. Yes. Or if, if, if I'm looking to do damage to a nation state, I don't need to go to the middle of New York or Minneapolis. I go out deep into the country somewhere and find an access point that is unguarded and, or has a simple stored password. And so to the degree that I'm able to compromise that particular device, I now have free reign, uh, literally back up through the channels into the actual operating environment. And so what happens if you're at an oil refinery and someone decides to, to cause the readings on the pump or the processing facility to read normal when in fact it's in a critical mode? These are the types of challenges that we face that are becoming pandemic um, just because of the growth of these endpoint devices and edge computing devices. And the challenge becomes, how do we create a trust infrastructure where only those devices who need to be talking to other devices actually do so? Today, we're not built for that because, as you mentioned before, earlier, this was not considered a threat surface. And so we simply didn't design in those security protocols. 
what we do at Connect IQ is we are backwards compatible and future proof in the sense that we, we work with basically legacy devices to provide an opportunity for those to be secured as well as we think about quantum computing and what that means for the future. How do you begin to protect uh, data that needs to be encrypted in flight? Who would be an ideal client? Well, ideal cuts across a, norm, uh, a number of, of um, vectors. Nation states, so critical national infrastructure. So if you're responsible for securing your energy uh, extraction and production and distribution network, and that could be oil and gas, that could be electricity, doesn't matter. You should call us. If you're looking to protect health data at the national level, in terms of assuring that only those who are authorized to get access to that data get it, and they only get it when they need to get it, uh, because our technology is, is, uh, is fairly flexible, you should call us. If you're looking at connected cars, autonomous driving, one of the biggest challenges today is how do we know that that over-the-air update that is coming down is really coming from the mothership? We presume it is. We put signatures in that says that it is. Uh, but we don't actually know the genesis of that, and we really don't know if things have been injected and so on. And so what we do is to ensure that that pipeline um, and both endpoints are absolutely secure, which could also mean connected cockpits, um, baby rattle, baby monitor that's sitting in you know, it, right? house. Absolutely, the refrigerator. Uh, embedded systems, just about anywhere today where you have technology that is touching a human or ultimately gets to a human, which could be in the form of services, which basically becomes everybody. They probably should give us a ring. Super. Uh, Ken, what role do you think blockchain will play in cybersecurity in the coming years? That's an interesting question. We've had a number of debates internally and externally in our organization. We actually use blockchain for a portion of what we do. Uh, we don't want anybody changing history and logs. So we don't even trust ourselves. We don't know, we don't want to know what payloads are. We just want to ensure that, that the environment's trusted. So blockchain is really good if you want immutability of data. Today, as far as I know on the planet, there is nothing superior to that technology. Some people are trying to adopt blockchain for cybersecurity purposes in the sense of we will create a moniker or identifier for a particular device and we'll store it on the chain because you can't change it. Well, if I'm an adversary, all I have to do is figure out how do, how do I get access to the chain and compromise a human because that block's not changing. I'm good. I just need the data in that block. So how we think about blockchain is it's, it's designed to do one thing really, really well in a distributed ledger environment. They're smart contracts, but they all have the same threat surface at the end of the day. There that same vulnerability, that single point of access. You've got stored secrets that give you access to the chain. And what we want to do is just simply lock all that down. Wow. So you, you're actually going to be playing a, a major role in this uh, blockchain technology by securing access to it. We believe so. Um, we've looked at a number of companies that are currently doing work in the security space for blockchain same vulnerability. And so for us, if that vulnerability exists, we think that's a problem. And so we've taken a bit of an orthogonal path and it, some consider it heresy and that's okay. 
I, I, don't, I don't have a problem with provocation. Um, we will take that path because we believe, based on all the testing that we've done, uh, current security environments around protecting access and identity and data and trust environments is currently inadequate, given the environment that we're in today. And, you know, I find it interesting that nobody really talks about this. That's correct. Why would you? <laughs> <laughs> Particularly if, you're, if your monetization model, whatever it is, private data, it, it doesn't matter, hardware, if that's built around, I'm going to protect your secret, give it to me, and I will store it, and I'll put another secret on top of that, another one on that, that's a very robust business model, as long as the customers believe that that's the only way that you have to go. We didn't look to try and disintermediate that market, but in essence, that's what we think is going to happen. You know, there have been uh, numerous data breaches at some prominent companies. What do you think the root cause for these data breaches are? Uh, cause number one, and no disrespect to the Bobs of the world, but we call them Bob. Uh, Bob is the individual who, he, he's the, the human that is always the wild card in the chain. And so to the degree that Bob is careless, Bob is not trained well, uh, Bob is compromisable, um, that is the weakest link in any cybersecurity um, defense protocol. Uh, we try to guard against the Bobs of the world as well. So if you have highly secured data that you don't want anybody else uh, or you need extraordinarily limited access to, at admins, are, they have the keys to the crystal kingdom. They can go anywhere by design. That worked well before. It doesn't really work well now because what happens when Bob gets careless or as I have some friends in the armed services who are thinking about, well, what happens if a child of one of our officers who has access to mm. weapons of mass destruction of some sort or can cause havoc, what happens if the medical record of that weapons officer as well as the commander, if we take a submarine or a boat, it doesn't really matter, if their loved ones get compromised, what decisions are you gonna make? Think about it, these officers are trained not to bend even if their life is, is at stake. But we're humans. We, we love our families, we love our children, and that is a potential chink in the armor. And so what, what we do is to break and make that surface diffuse so that no single individual anywhere has the capacity to do that. And it's, uh, it's, it's a big problem. So as far as cybersecurity challenges inside networks and organizations, it's the mythical human or real human for that matter is, is a big challenge. Other pieces are just failure to update, failure to patch, just basic housekeeping and digital hygiene occurs. A lot of the threat services would be remediated if organizations took greater care to do that. So we, we encourage the people that we work with, take care of the housekeeping. What we're gonna do is, we're gonna be the sentry on the wall, not to let those threats in that are, are trying to compromise you externally. And that gets into this big debate inside large organizations, should you do, is perimeter defense even usable today? And I would argue in the affirmative, but there are some contingencies. If you don't adopt uh, a technology, it doesn't have to be ours, but something similar to what we do, um, perimeter defense is a problem. 
And if you look at all the solutions today that are out there, um, intrusion detection systems, intrusion protection systems, uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning, most of these are built around models where you have a signature that you have to find. If you recognize the signature, you can stop it at the gate. But what if you don't? Or what if there is no signature? Comes in. Well, AI and machine learning become the backup to that in a lot of instances in large, large organizations. That's good. But you still have time it takes for that uh, engine, that AI or machine learning engine, to understand what's going on here. And milliseconds is an eternity in computer time. And so there's still this problem of I got access, I'm in, and now I can move laterally. So the goal at the end of the day is to say, you don't even belong here because I don't recognize you. And so maybe a good way for you and your listeners to think about this is think about the human immune system. Uh, we all have a master histological complex, which is sort of our digital fingerprint. And the reason why we have rejection in transplants, which I kind of know about as a recipient these days, is because they don't match. And so our defenses say, I don't know you, you're not going any further. That's a bit around the signature model as well. What we do is move that to outside for all practical purposes, the network or the device. You're not getting in because I don't recognize you at all. So you don't even get access to come in and wreak havoc to actually move laterally. That's a great example, and it really helps illustrate um, how security works. Yeah, it's a, uh, this is just an enjoyable uh, period of, of time. Most people say that's, that's really interesting because you're thinking about security and all the things that could occur. I said, that's true, but I'm also heartened by all the good that could occur if we can create what we like to call the second renaissance. Um, I don't know if your listeners are familiar with um, so how the Renaissance started to flower uh, in Northern Italy, was, the Medici family played a great part in that. They just brought all these great minds together, threw them into their compound and say, be brilliant, and tell them what to do. And it's the ability for people and organizations, nation states, companies, it doesn't matter. If they can come together in a trusted environment, good things can happen, uh, particularly in health technology, uh, medicines, uh, the the quality of life for people can be vastly improved if we can get the right people in the room, but today they're scattered around the world and it becomes a bit impractical to try and fly them everywhere. So can we create truly secure digital environments where all parties trust the other party in the sense of their, digital, their level of digital hygiene? Ken, what keeps you motivated every day? Uh, it's, it's thinking about what can be. Uh, you know, there's a, a word I have that, that sits on my desk, which I'm in a conference room now, but uh, it's the word imagine. And so uh, and behind that is what if. If, if we can get things right, um, certainly as, as people, enterprises, organizations, nation states, to the degree that the environment in which we operate is one of trust. And I'm speaking now of primarily digital environments. If we can do that, we are much more likely due to interesting collaborations, bring together orthogonal uh, solutions that we hadn't thought about because we were all in our silos. Today, from a digital standpoint, we're all in our silos. And it hampers the ability for exponential growth to occur and benefit to all parties because 
we're only looking at our own little world and we're not thinking about, oh, I'm being pollinated by this over here that could actually help this exponentially move forward. So that's what keeps me going. The fact that I think we can achieve that, but it's gonna require trust environments, which today I would argue we don't have. Great. And you know, there's a statistic that many small businesses fail within the first year of their business. Where do you think entrepreneurs go wrong? Uh, drinking their own Kool-Aid. It's probably the best <laughs> way to describe <laughs> That's definitely a first. <laughs> uh, the, it's good that entrepreneurs have vision. Uh, it's good that they're thinking uh, about what if, but that, all, that always has to be tempered with this notion of what's real. What are the constraints that are beyond my control? Um, what are the, restraint, the constraints that I can influence? And most tend to turn a blind eye. Now, part of that I will attribute to Silicon Valley and the VC investment model, which the interests are, let's get in and, and get out of here within seven, five to seven years, some are now going to 10. But the interest become, we need to see this return uh, as opposed to let's build a great solid company with good people. And because we did it right, and then there's a saying that whenever I hire a new um, employee, a team member, we talk about this. I said, profit is nothing more. And however you define profit, is nothing more than doing the right thing in the right way at the right time and for all the right reasons. One of the challenges I think entrepreneurs have is they're so focused on tomorrow and the big picture that they lose sight of we're still people, we have feet of clay, we are grounded, this is where we live. So the question is, how do you take those two and do this? And that's one of the things that we think we do fairly well at Connect IQ. I think it's also an attitude where, you know, people are constantly multitasking. They're looking at their phones while they're walking, while they're doing things. And I think the key is to have presence. To yes. focus, you know, I'm here right now, I'm doing this. You know, like you and I are talking right now, I shut my phone off because last thing I need is to have, uh, you know, an email pop up or worse, the, the phone start ringing and then I forget where I'm going. Uh, or, you know, or when you're, with your family, you know, to be present. So the same thing when it comes to entrepreneurs. Yeah, you're thinking about tomorrow, but you're here today. You That's have right. to pay the bills today. So That's correct. <laughs> absolutely correct. You know, there's a great book, and uh, I'll have to send you the email, but it was written by a professor from McGill University. I read it probably almost 30 years ago. Uh, chapter four is probably the most important. Um, but he talks about this idea of presence but in a slightly different context. He notes that even 30 years ago, uh, people in business prior to that used to have plenty of time to just think and ponder. You don't see that much today because everybody is running, 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 running. And their, their, their attention and focus is so diffuse. And as you said, it could be they're thinking about their phone or whatever they happen to be doing. And the challenge is, is the deep thought that's necessary, I believe, to come to really interesting and intriguing solutions around some of the problems that we all face, that doesn't really come about by having your attention constantly um, unfocused. And now we know, thanks to some friends at MIT who've done the research, uh, there's no such thing as multitasking. Right. Switching, yes, but not multitasking. And so the concept that you can do multiple things at one time is a bit of a fallacy. 
And so one of the things I try to do here with my team is to ensure that whatever you're on, that's what you're on. Unless we have an all hands on call, I don't want to see see you here after five o'clock. Go home, be with your family, do something that's orthogonal to the business. It's just unrelated uh, because I want you fresh the next day. Uh, but it does make for, I believe, a, a more balanced approach uh, to sort of startup life. So we're probably a little different in that regard. Now that's fantastic. And, and by the way, what's the name of that book? Do you know? Oh. Or you could send me the title. I'll put it in the show notes. I'll send you the title. I'm, a, I'm an avid audiobook listener. Oh, wonderful. well, I don't know if it's, if, it's, uh, if it's in an audiobook. It's 30 years old. Uh, but I, I will get the name to you and the ISBN number in case you can still order it. <laughs> yeah, wonderful. Um, Ken, where are you looking to take this business, say, in the next five years? Well, in the next five years, um, we are an infrastructure play. Nobody needs to know we exist except for those who are paying us our shekels every month. We don't really care. Um, you can't even see what we do because it's all happening behind the scenes. So our goal is to be present uh, in all of these critical areas, uh, such as critical national infrastructure and all the pieces that are attached to that, manufacturing, all the pieces that are attached to that, health systems, all the pieces that are attached to that. Uh, to the degree that we can hit a good 10 to 15% of the market, which I think we can do. But then we're talking about a global uh, sort of addressable market of securing devices and endpoints of around 200 billion. So securing 20 million of those is gonna be a significant undertaking, but we think we can get it done because we've designed this to scale. So that's where we would like to be um, in that time frame, And position the company that to the degree we're either acquired um, or we were able to make decisions about we're just going to continue to grow it. Uh, but we want to ensure that the culture and the purpose for which we built this technology uh, doesn't become you know, abridged in any way or adulterated. Great. Ken, I know you're a busy guy and we're going to let you go. But just before we do, how do people find you? Well, they can reach us at connectiq.com. That's K-N-E-C-T-I-Q.com. They can send an email to secure at connectiq.com. They can call us at 651-343-3117. And if all else fails, our friends at Google or some other search engine, Google, you owe me now for this plug. <laughs> for any search engine, just type in connectiq. They'll find us. Great. And I'm going to put that in the show notes as well so people can just click on that and get right to you. Wonderful. Appreciate it. Ken, are there any parting words of wisdom you'd like to share with the audience? Yeah, just um, one. There is a, a, a belief that you cannot have security and free movement of data. It is true that zeros and ones like to be move, in movement, you know, in, in, in motion. They don't like to be just sort of clogged up and sit still. And so if you're looking to monetize data and things that are attached to data, you can, in fact, do it securely without violating the privacy of those if it's private data, uh, contrary to popular belief today. Today, people believe it's a trade-off. We don't believe that that's true. We believe that a solution like ours provides the optimality, uh, an optimal mix of highly robust security around the devices and the data, and at the same time to allow the uh, genesis of that data, in this case, people or whatever devices, 
um, as well as those who are controlling the data, to rest assured that it's only going to go to where it's supposed to go. Great. Ken, thank you so much for sharing your time and your wisdom. I really enjoyed having you. Wonderful. Uh, and thank you, Avraham, for having me. And when I'm in New York, I will let you know. <laughs> <laughs>